1: Dan Loney.
0: The concerns over climate change are as volatile as the rhetoric in the presidential election right now. And while much of the push has been coming from the general public over the last several years, there are now a large and growing number of companies that are looking at things they can do to change the path of our climate. One of the companies trying to make some change is Royal DSM. Hugh Welsh is the North American president of the Life Sciences and Materials Company. Which is based in the in the Netherlands, and we welcome Hugh back to the show. Great to talk to you again, Hugh. Thanks, Dan. Thank you.
1: I like the number of the day story today.
0: Pretty good, huh? Yeah, it was great. As, as a parent, it's 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 a pretty fun one to be able to do stuff, do see your kids do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, let, let's get into what DSM is really doing to try and change the path uh, of your company, because it's it's a story, as I said, that more and more corporations are jumping on to the understanding that change must be made here in the years to come.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for DSM, I think we're in a unique position to, to tell that story. The acronym DSM actually stands for Dutch State Mining. And we started out as a coal mining company in 1904 in the Netherlands. And today we're, we're essentially in every business there is except coal mining, uh, right. having transformed our portfolio over the years. You know, But we continue to try to find new and unique ways to uh, to address the issue of climate change and, and, and more or less future-proof our business
0: um, against the consequences of climate change going forward. Well, and, and that that term which you just used, future proof, I found it interesting because you used it in a uh, in, in a uh, a piece that you wrote uh, on a, on a website recently, and it it does speak to really forward thinking. Uh, and, and corporations forward think all the time, but they don't necessarily forward think about the environment and what we're looking at going going forward. and, and I found it as a, it's a word that really does or a term that really does kind of make you think about about what the path of a corporation needs to be going forward.
1: Yeah, and it's one that that you know I think resonates across our entire operations and our strategy. I mean all the way to the work we do with investor relations. So when we sit down, you know, we're we're a large publicly traded company. When we sit down with investors, the story we want to tell is not just the financial results of the next quarter, but the the transformation of the organization and the execution of our strategy over the course of the next 5, 10, 20 years, such that we look like a much more... Palatable investment for the for the long term type of shareholders we're trying to attract.
0: As you mentioned, uh, DSM uh, was I- involved uh, many many years ago in in, uh, in a business which has been struggling right now. Uh, what is the pushback that you get from companies like coal companies these days? Because they are seemingly still kind of on times, blocking the path of, uh, of trying to push forward a lot of, uh, of opportunity to, to change the climate of this world. Yeah, I mean,
1: all I can offer them, uh, other fossil fuel companies, is to serve up DSM as an example. I mean, we were a coal mining we, coal mining company. We dug coal out of the ground. We, we delivered it to people's homes so that they can illuminate them and they can heat them. And, uh, and over the years, we, we evolved. We moved out of those businesses into new businesses, what we think are much more sustainable businesses. And you know, we try to encourage the, the, the coal companies today who are struggling mightily in, the, in their existing business case to make a similar transformation.
0: Is it, is it a good sign for you, and, and obviously the, the work that, that your company is doing is great, but even here in the United States, a company that is well-known as, as Exxon, has, is making their statements about about energy going forward and carbon pricing and, and and in some respects jumping on board to uh to a conversation that needs to be had.
1: Yeah it is encouraging to hear that rhetoric but we, we would also like to see maybe a move away from just rhetoric yeah. to dealing with remedies and, and and in some respects remuneration. You know, it's encouraging to me to see companies like Royal Dutch Shell, you know, large fossil fuel companies begin to tie some of these incentives for their executives, not just to financial results, but to sustainability results. And to me, that's a real indicator of um, a genuine intent to begin that transformation process. And and
0: that's something that that, uh, that DSM does in terms of tying compensation to uh, sustainability goals and and actually getting things done, correct?
1: Uh, correct, and we started with, with tying our executives' bonuses, 50% of their annual bonuses and 50% of their, their stock options to sustainability goals in 2010, and, and we made that decision because we realized that we needed to move beyond just rhetoric, and, and by tying uh, the reaching of these goals to, to executives' money, we knew we would get immediate behavioral change, and that would cast that cade down through the organization, and, and we've seen that. We've seen that over the past five years. We've been very successful in meeting our sustainability targets, and um, And coming up with new and innovative ways to do business um, that offer solutions not just, of course, to DSM but to our customers.
0: You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney here in our studio in Philadelphia. On the phone with us is Hugh Welsh, who is the North American president of uh, of Royal DSM, who, which is a, a life science and materials company. We're talking about some of the efforts that they are making to help improve uh, the climate here in the United States and around the globe, uh, talking about carbon pricing, uh, green initiatives, and a variety of different other areas. If you would like to join in the conversation, you are more than welcome to do so. The number to give us a call is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio111 or my Twitter account, which is at danloney21. Hugh, the, the, the push, as I said, a lot of it has come from the general public uh, in, in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, it, it has to be a, a great experience to be able to see uh, that initiative run by so many people in, in, the, in the past years now having, uh, it seems like a unison, uh, you know, something that's in sync between the public and, and companies like yourselves.
1: Uh, it's extremely encouraging. I mean, we have a long way to go, um, but if I look back just five years, we've moved uh, a tremendous amount. You know, culminating in, in some respects in in the Paris Climate Agreement uh, last year. Uh, you know, so it's it's an extremely encouraging time to be talking about these things. But uh, but we shouldn't rest on our laurels. We have a lot more to do, uh, and a lot more to do in the private sector.
0: What are the things that you would like to see happen here in in the next couple of decades to try and improve the lot uh, for your company and and for other companies where this is concerned?
1: Uh, I mean, one thing I think we need, and it's fairly provocative here in the United States, is a price on carbon. Uh, you know the use of fossil fuels, the use of of, of carbon-based materials to produce um, products, uh, you know, has had an impact on on climate change. And and rather than passing that liability on to our children and grandchildren, I think it's very important that this generation accept responsibility for that and and bear the cost for that. And that can come with a price on carbon. Um, I think we'll see an acceleration away from. Uh, climate change uh, inducing uh, gases and emissions if we put a price on carbon and we can move more to renewable energy and make those renewable energy sources like solar, like wind, like biofuels um, more competitive. So, that's one of the things I'd love to see is is a price on carbon.
0: Is Is that a good possibility in your mind in the years to come?
1: Oh, absolutely so. I think we're already seeing... Uh, some early work in, in California and in Quebec uh, with the carbon trading system. I think we've heard the Chinese already mention they're going to have a price on carbon. Uh, my boss, the CEO of DSM, is working uh, diligently on the Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition as part of the World Bank to try to set some policies on a global basis with respect to a price on carbon. So, so I think we, uh, we will see that in the not-too-distant future. And I think an indication of that is uh, a lot of companies like DSM are imposing upon themselves today an internal price on carbon when they're doing an evaluation on CapEx projects, a large-scale investment.
0: Which is what for your company?
1: Uh, 50 euros a ton.
0: So what does that then, for people that uh, you know hear that number, what does that play out in terms of, a, of an annual cost on DSM over the course of a year?
1: Yeah, I mean, what it does is it makes us look at large-scale capital projects where we're going to deploy a a large amount of capital, either build a new plant or work on a new incentive. It it imposes that price there so that we're not caught off guard 5, 10, 15 years down the road during the natural life of a plant with a plant that can't compete in a world with a price on carbon. 844-942-7866
0: 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Hugh Welsh, uh, North American president of uh, DSM, joining us on the show. Uh, as I mentioned, this is uh, one of those topics that probably should be discussed more during the uh, during the presidential race, and it's really not. And from that, as happy as you are to see that, that that joining between the public and and private sector uh, on trying to tackle this is it a little disappointing that it's not more of an issue and and brought up on on a more consistent basis in the election cycle and and, and realistically uh, in Washington D.C. in general.
1: It, it, it is it is more than a little disappointing. Um, I, I think the 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 issue around climate change, the recognition of climate change as a serious issue, is. As you mentioned, well received in both the the general public as well as in the political class. But when you look at some of the platforms for the major political parties, they're really not including issues like a price on carbon or um, general and material work towards mitigating climate change uh, i I'd like to see more tangible results, maybe that's the businessman in me and less yeah. of the politician in me and it can be a little frustrating, you know, being in Washington from time to time and on Capitol Hill, um, running across the folks from companies who uh, have the rhetoric uh, of climate change mitigation and are lobbying against every bill that comes down um, that's geared towards mitigating climate change.
0: Is, is, the, is the amount that is being talked about with, with uh, carbon pricing, is it at, at a high enough level? I've read a couple of articles that said that maybe the pricing structure is is not high enough.
1: I, I mean, I, I personally agree that the pricing structure uh, ultimately adopted needs to be high enough to account for all the external costs associated with the use of, of fossil fuels. Um, I, I think then you will have a genuine incentive to move, move more rapidly, both governments and the private sector, to renewable energy sources. At the end of the day, as well, I think governments are going to need to fu- find a funding source. And I don't, I know they don't want to discuss this uh, necessarily in political campaigns, right. but they're going to need to find a funding source to mitigate the impacts of climate change going forward. Yeah. If you think of the infrastructure impacts and the harbor impacts and the bridge impacts, um, funding for that's going to need to come from somewhere. And we can't continue to try to impose that liability on our children and grandchildren in the
0: future. Well, and the, the best case scenario would be to make the changes necessary so that the funding source becomes as minimal as, as possible. Uh, and that would be the be- the best way to handle it. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound like uh, we're seeing a f- change fast enough to be able to avoid something like that. I would agree. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. If you'd like to join in the conversation, we are joined on the phone by Hugh Welsh, who is the uh, North American president of uh, DSM. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Outside of carbon pricing, what are some of the other areas that that you and, and DSM are looking at as important areas that really need to be focused on?
1: Uh, I mean, really working on finding new and innovative products to to mitigate climate change going forward. I mean, I can give you one one example. We have a product called Clean Cow. Uh, it's it's a feed additive that we can can feed to dairy cows uh, to reduce methane emissions. Um, you may or may not know. One of the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions here in the United States is from the the front end and a little bit out of the back end of a dairy cow. <laughs> um, I, it might even be as high as the second highest source of greenhouse gas emissions here. We can reduce those materially, up to sixty percent in some cases, by introducing a clean cow feed additive. We we think that that's um, one of the you know an shining an example of a coal company kind of transforming itself and using its. Uh, it's science-based and, and innovative mindset to, uh, to find solutions to some of these big problems.
0: So to be able to get something like that moved forward uh, and, and use that as a product that's in the norm with, with cows, whether it be here in the United States or, or, uh, or anywhere else in the globe, what then is, is the holdup on, on that?
1: Uh, we, of course, need regulatory support to get it through uh, regulatory approval processes maybe more quickly than ordinarily. Right. Um, and we, and we also need to try to generate um, a real business case for the farmers who are going to be using this product. Uh, we don't expect them to, uh, to bear the cost uh, solely of, of a product that's going to be a climate change mitigator. Yep. Um, they're going to need to find a way to pass that cost on to consumers, be incentivized in a different way, or couple it with other products that can improve the efficiency of an animal. I don't want to get too wonkish, but improve the efficiency of an animal such that it can produce more meat or more milk.
0: That's that's a big th- thing, and probably a lot of people that are listening to us right now uh, don't think on a day-to-day basis about the efficiency of, of animals out there. Obviously, farmers do, and and the uh, the various uh, meat, uh, poultry industries uh, probably do think about it, but the general public doesn't. And, and just the fact of, of the number that, that you kind of laid out alone in terms of uh, the amount of greenhouse gases that are emitted from cows— uh, is it, something that I I would think probably will catch more people uh, off guard, and it, it's something that I think it, it it needs to be publicized even more.
1: Uh, I, I I would agree, but yeah, you know, we're we're a humble Dutch company. We're not um, so much into doing public relations, but uh, but it is an interesting story, and I I can imagine that. Um it's something that resonates with the children of all, all of our employees uh, when they get to go home and talk about what their parents do every day.
0: They're, they're also, in terms of the, the dealing with the, with, with the public, as you kind of alluded to, is that you're also in a bit of a cultural shift where this idea is something that resonates, I think, a lot more with millennials than maybe necessarily it did with the boomer generation You know, 20 or 30 years ago. Now, maybe it's starting to a little bit more in this day and age with people across generations but having uh, the, the millennials thinking about it and making it more of an issue uh, at, at the forefront of their thinking it becomes very important.
1: Uh, and that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, we can change the incentive structure for the executives in our company who are typically a little bit of the older generation to try to get them to focus on these issues where it might not be intuitive for them. It is intuitive for the millennials. And DSM working on, on some of the world's biggest problems um, has enabled us to, attract, recruit, and retain some of the best talent now in the industry. And I, and I think you will see more companies working in this space, working on these issues, if for no other reason than to enable them to attract the most talented folks in the business. That's the real long-term source of sustainable competitive advantage.
0: How much do you think that, that, that working in the, in the farm space, you, you alluded to, could make what comes from cows, whether that be beef or milk, uh, what could it be in terms of the rise uh, of productivity from animals like that?
1: I mean, we work every day in the animal health space to increase the productivity of, of animals, be they swine um, or, or, or poultry. Um, we're going to need to do that. Uh, the population of the planet is going to move from 7 billion to 9 billion. The population of the planet grows richer every year, which are wonderful things. And wealthier people want, uh, want meat protein. And we're going to need to find a way to produce that, not just at a higher amount, but in a much more sustainable way. Uh, So, you know, these are some of the challenges that we're trying to tackle within our animal nutrition business here in DSM.
0: 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. One of the other interesting things, which I saw on on your website uh, the other day, was uh, your company, a version of your company or an arm of your company is doing work. On a fully recyclable carpet, uh, get into that a little bit because that's something that I think a lot of people would be interested in because of the fact that uh, the, the, that carpeting is obviously something that a lot of people, except for the ones that love hardwood floors, uh, have to have to use on on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I mean we have we have a joint venture called Niagara, which is again spelled backwards. Um, to try to create the, the the perception that we will be able to produce carpets and can today going forward that can be used again and again and again, and you know there's new proprietary technology that enables us to do that, uh, and this you know within DSM is is really an application of of what we would refer to as, as circular economic principles, you know the idea of a circular economy is um, is out there it's being promoted I don't know yet that it's well understood in the business sector. And Niagara is a perfect example of, of the circular economy rather than uh, the linear economy where you would produce carpet and take it out and throw it in, in, a, in a landfill. Here we would produce carpet, maybe sell it to somebody, maybe lease it to somebody, come pick it up, refurbish it, it gets, re- it gets put back into the system again. Um, a much more sustainable way to do business and, and going forward, we a much more profitable way to do business.
0: What other green initiatives are, 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 is DSM looking at as well right now? A whole host of initiatives with respect to non solvent based floor coatings or
1: using some of our high-tensile strength fiber technology to produce more sustainable nets for the aquaculture business or high-strength, high-heat-resistant plastics that can be used in an automobile manifold and and automobiles generally to reduce their weight and increase their fuel efficiency. Um, Across the spectrum of our different businesses, I think you will find sustainability initiatives not just as um, as engagement or public relations issues, but really the core strategic drivers for, for much of the innovation work that we're doing. Um. You know, we, we want to, going forward, be seen as a company that doesn't necessarily just produce products. Right, We produce solutions for many of our customers.
0: As this continues on, the collaborations that you have with uh, other companies and and other sectors out there becomes more important, especially if they are, I would guess, if they're ones that maybe they're companies that, that hadn't been on board as much in the past and and them understanding how important this is.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, as you mentioned earlier, some of the consuming public, this is very much top of mind today. So if you're in a branded business or in a retail business, I'm, I'm certain that you're feeling some of the pressures from your customers to change the way that you do business. And you're going to look down your supply chain to, co- to companies like DSM. Um, we think we're fairly well positioned relative to our peers to meet the increasing demands of those uh, branded and retail uh, customers to, to help them become more sustainable going forward.
0: Is there, is there a segment out there r- right now that, that cannot benefit from thinking about sustainability efforts uh, these days? Because I, I, I realistically believe that pretty much every sector out there can benefit from it one way or another. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that,
1: that there is, Dan. I mean, DSM, Dutch State Mines, coal mining company, <laughs> has now evolved itself into you know, not just a thought leader but a business leader – in the space of creating sustainable solutions. You know, we, we once dug coal out of the ground and today we're seen as uh, you know, a leader, for example, in renewable energy where we can produce cellulosic ethanol or solar energy. Um, I, I think you know, it, w- that stands as a great example to anybody in any industry that such a transformation is possible and, uh, and profitable
0: in your mind and, and and look if you can answer this question great if you, if you can i understand in your mind why why would a coal company at in this day and age continue to fight the fight of of trying to push forward the need for just massive amounts of coal being pushed and being pulled out of out of the ground these days yeah i i i can only say that it's got to be a
1: lack of imagination that it is not a sustainable business. I can't imagine that anybody in that business feels that it's a, sustain- a sustainable business, either from a, from a climate perspective as well as a business perspective.
0: Right.
1: You would hope that they would begin to, to move as rapidly as possible to evolving away from that and deploying their assets in a different way. Um, again, we were a coal company, now we're a food company. We were a coal company, now we're a clean energy company. We're a coal company, now we're a you know, sustainable plastics company. Um, the transformation is possible.
0: Is it your hope, and I'll even take it to the level of expectation that whoever becomes president uh, when we roll through November here, that that thinking about sustainability issues, carbon pricing, green initiatives will be on the forefront of that person's mind?
1: I very much hope so. I mean, we've had a good relationship thus far with the, with the Obama administration, and the rhetoric is, is fantastic. Um, we'd love to see more support uh... from from the executive branch today with respect to things like the renewable fuel standard here in the u s and and some other policy initiatives um, but we're hoping that you know a lot of the the rhetoric and emotion and energy that's been created around sustainability and particularly around renewable energy will be picked up by the next administration uh... be it republican or democrat and we get much more granular going forward in trying to create um, not just the solution to these big problems, but genuine competitive advantage for the United States of America.
0: How important do you think the Paris Accord will be going forward for the for the globe?
1: Uh, extremely important. I mean, it's, uh, how unique is it to have so many different countries from around the world coming together to agree on anything, much <laughs> less uh, tackling some of the challenges with respect to... Uh, avoiding 2c in, in, in temperature increase.
0: with without the US and, and China making the statements that they did uh, for the Paris Accord uh, does this does this realistically get pushed forward as much as it has right now
1: no that would be impossible I mean without the two largest emitters committing to make material changes
0: yeah.
1: um, the rest would be nice but it would not be uh, actionable
0: how, how quickly do you think a change uh, in China can realistically take place to to see significant reduction? Uh, uh, of the issues with, uh, with greenhouse gas that, uh, and, uh, and uh, various uh, other elements that they have over there in China?
1: I'm very much encouraged by what they're trying to do already today. I mean, we've had conversations with, with, with the Chinese government around introducing cellulosic ethanol as a potential you know, transportation fuel with you know, 90% less greenhouse gas emissions than, than gasoline. Um, they still continue to build coal-fired electrical plants, but at a lower rate. I think that the changes in China will come very quickly, not just as a consequence of things like the Paris Accord, but from their own populations who live yeah. in in cities like Beijing, who will no longer tolerate not being able to breathe,
0: and not being able to see through the through the through the smog in their cities. Correct. 844-942-7866 is the number. Just a couple more minutes with uh, Hugh Welsh, who is the North American president of uh, DSM. Uh, we go to Charles in Denver, Colorado. Charles, welcome.
2: Hey, guys. Let me we uh, get you off
0: the radio. Okay. Yeah, turn right. the radio down. Go ahead.
2: There we go. Hey, so I am a, a small business. I uh, have a product that is manufactured overseas. It's under $20. How is this going to affect small businesses and startups? You know, I also uh, host the Physical Product CEO Group here in Denver and in Boulder. And we're struggling just to get our businesses off the ground. So how is this going to affect us?
0: You? Uh,
1: With respect to a price on carbon drills? Yes, sir. Would it not encourage you to maybe try a new or or different way to produce your product so that it contains less petrochemicals or hydrocarbons?
2: I I have to produce my product for for under $2. I have to go to China because of current existing regulations here in the U.S. I have no choice about that. By adding any additional tax or regulations, it puts me in a position where either the consumer is going to have to spend considerably more, or alternatively, I just don't do it. And I go on welfare and sit back and say, well, let the government take care of me. I mean, it really, I know that sounds thats an extreme example, but it, it's one of these scenarios. I see it over and over and over again with inventors who have great ideas, but to execute their idea, they can't because of the regulations in place.
0: Hugh, go
1: ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily see this as an um, increased regulatory burden. Um, I would be an advocate for a decreased regulatory burden, particularly here in the United States. But I do think that we have to be conscious, and when we produce products and we put new products into the market, that those products bear and reflect their true cost. And if we have products that are produced using hydrocarbons, and there is not a price on the use of those hydrocarbons, I don't think those products then reflect their true cost. Who's picking up the, the, that cost differential? It's the general consuming public. Why not create a level playing field where products that don't use so many hydrocarbons and won't introduce so many hydrocarbons into the environment um, can compete on a price basis with those that do?
0: Charles, thanks very much for the call. I have to end it there. Thank you. Uh, Great to have you back on the show. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. For more
1: business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.